Welcome to the Distinctive Christianity Podcast. This is Skylar, flying solo today. And the question today is, do LDS believe in hell? Alright, so, I've received what I think is some pushback on this. Not sure what to think about it, honestly. Um, it's not to take anything away from the good, but Apologia Utah, I don't think seems to agree with what, um, Brendan and I covered specifically on first Corinthians 15, but we've covered it a lot and will continue to, um, the, the last judgment episode, for example, has yet to come out when I'm recording this, we cover this in there as well. And so the question is. Do LDS believe in hell? Let me start with this quote from Brigham Young. Do we know what hell is? Keep in mind, president of the LDS church. Do we know what hell is and where hell is? Who can point it out? In many instances where the apostles have been speaking, and likewise, Jesus and his communications to the people, this earth is compared to hell. Well, it is in one sense. If we find out really that hell is anything more or less than this earth, this wicked world, we shall find that it is banishment from the society and presence of holy beings. So, already, that should clue one in. This is after DNC 76. This is after DNC 29. This is after DNC 88. Why doesn't he see it the same way as how it was utilized in a YouTube short posted, I think, December 2nd? Well, let's get into that. First, what, does, what do Christians mean by the word hell? Of course, Jesus speaks of it more than anyone else. It's all through the Gospel of Matthew, Luke 16. I figured, um, I think this would be a non-controversial source. Concise Theology, J.A. Packer. And I will also post a link to um, a simply put episode, Barry Cooper, Ligonier Ministries. And in here... Of course, if you were to read through it, um, is there symbolism? Of course, but it's it's because it's more real than the symbol, right? In fact, J.A. Packer says, the reality which is beyond our imagining exceeds the symbol and dreadfulness. This is going to be key later on when we see how LDS will use the word symbol relative to the same thing. But to get going, just simply get going, um, it's a place of eternal conscious torment. A place, eternal conscious torment. I think that's what Christians mean when they use the word. Do LDS believe in that? Well, the best evidence against that, um, against what I said in that episode, would be the Book of Mormon. And I think I said it in there. The Book of Mormon clearly has hell clearly. In fact, there's no intermediate state whatsoever. There's when you die, you can't repent in the spirit. Um, in fact, the devil says there is no hell in second Nephi 28. Um, it is, <laughs> there's arguments against universalism. In fact, um, eternal punishment in Alma 42 is eter- as eternal as the life of the soul. And so, yes, in the Book of Mormon, there is hell. But here's my question. 
when do we ever let LDS use a word that we use without picking at it a little more and looking at it a little more deeply? So, for example, if I were to just throw a page from the website up, they have a page on grace. They believe in grace, right? (laughs) They believe in Jesus, right? But what do they mean by grace? What do they mean by Jesus? So, in the L- on the LDS website, they have an article called Hell. Overview. Latter-day revelations speak of hell in at least two ways. So, let's look at these two ways. First, it is another name for spirit prison. Now, as we've covered and we will continue to cover... What is spirit prison? Well, they say a temporary place. Temporary. So is that eternal? No, it's temporary. Temporary place in the post-mortal world for those who died without a knowledge of the truth or those who were disobedient in mortality. And then this is me talking. You can repent there. <laughs> right? Even uh, as we covered with the descent passage, they say Jesus went into spirit paradise, organized a missionary fleet, and sent it into the spirit world to convert them. Okay, back to the article. Second, it is the permanent location of Satan and his followers in the sons of perdition, who are not redeemed by the atonement of Jesus Christ. Okay, permanent. That is true. They say in this permanent. However, we're going to come back to that. Spirit prison is a temporary place I will link to this in the show notes. You can read the whole thing. Right. And then those who are not redeemed, if you keep going down, by the atonement are in outer darkness. Now, keep in mind, already here, Jesus in Matthew equates hell and outer darkness, the same place. But here, outer darkness is separated from spirit prison. It's a dwelling place of the devil, his angels, and the sons of perdition. They say DNC 76. Sons of perdition are those who receive no forgiveness in this world nor in the world to come. And we're going to come back to that. We're going to come back to that. Think of the Mormon cosmology. This world, the world to come. Is that it in Mormonism? In fact, if you go back to the pre-mortal life, you go back two lives. Is that it in Mormonism? No. So such individuals will not inherit a place in any kingdom of glory. For them, the conditions of hell remain. So we're going to get into that. Because outer darkness has a separate theology in the Mormon system, as we're going to see. So, first, the same year that the Book of Mormon is published, 1830, we have a revelation, whether in 1829 or March 1830 is not the point. The point being within the year of the publication of the Book of Mormon. We get the revelation, which even Richard Bushman, Joseph Smith biographer, calls the perplexing reversal. The Book of Mormon clearly aimed at universalism, and all of a sudden he reverses in saying eternal does not mean eternal. And this right away limits hell to a temporary place. A temporary place. Now, when you cite DNC 29, that's after DNC 19. Uh, and it is true. In DNC 29, it does say this place is hell. In fact, let's look at that really quick. Let me read the whole thing. 
And they were thrust down, thus came the devil and his angels, and behold, there is a place prepared for them from the beginning, which place is hell. Keep in mind, in Joseph Smith's theology, there's development happening here. And we covered this even in the War in Heaven episode, right? Where the War in Heaven is still not pushed back into the premortal existence, and the, the angel-human species distinction is still not totally clear, which is interesting. So, it's, Smith is working this out. We can't just cite the Book of Mormon. They don't just cite a Book of Mormon verse and say, that's what we believe. They don't treat any text that way. It's not just the Bible. This is why why you have to kind of see how these things are used in the community themselves. DNC 76 is a huge turning point. It's in February 1832, Three Kingdoms of Glory. And yes, it has this outer darkness. Okay. And but here's here's the thing with that. And this is not just me, by the way. This is Sandra Tanner. Okay. I think. We should probably respect some of her work if it fits the evidence. And she shows in July 1832, when DNC, what is now DNC 76, was published in the Evening and Morning Star, what do we see happening there? Well, and these are some of the verses cited um, also in the, the short. On the, if you watch it, you see them pop up. Well, if you look at DNC 76 today, we see, and we saw a vision of the sufferings. But in 1832, it said eternal sufferings. So see that universalist impulse already changing this. If you drop down to 33, and of course 32, you see these are the sons of perdition. And 33, they are vessels of wrath doomed to suffer the wrath of God with the devil and his angels in eternity. Wait, wait, wait. Originally, it said throughout eternity. Now it says in eternity. And keep in mind, eternities is plural in the LDS system, including in the temple, which we're headed to, the LDS temple. Consuming their, whom I have said there is no forgiveness in this world, nor in the world to come. But what about the next world? That's the question you got to ask. 44, which, by the way, that's not me. That's not just me that asks questions like this. Um, it's funny, in Sunstone, there was a lecture um, which I, I admit are hit and miss, but there was a pretty good lecture where uh, Tom Bennett, um, he did a survey. He attempted a survey of even um, some of the more fundamentalist Mormon groups. And one of the questions is, do you believe in hell the way Christianity does or Protestant does? I can't remember the exact way it's asked, but clearly distinguishing because he sees the distinction between the Christian view of hell and any form of Mormon view. Um, and none of them said they agreed to that. None. Um, he had FLDS represented. He had the branch, the righteous branch, I think. Anyway, you, you can. Go, unfortunately, not enough responded that we can have like a quantitative research on this question. But the qualitative said enough, you know. And um, and so once again, this isn't just me. If you continue to verse forty-four and seventy-six, once again, with the devil and his angels in eternity. But originally, it said throughout. Joseph Smith is already softening this. And they, that trend has continued, and this will be covered in the final judgment episode, where the sons of perdition category is shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. Okay. So, and, and uh, also, 88, DNC 88. Okay, this is, 
<laughs> this is December 1832. So once again, it's still not eternal. Whatever this means, the punishment is not eternal. With the caveat, with the caveat that unless they continue to choose avoiding progression, and we're going to get to that with Brigham Young, but I will point out that even ZNC 8832 has been <laughs> understood to also um, soften this. So when it says, they who remain shall also be quick, and nevertheless they shall return again to their own place. Cleon okay. Skousen and John A. Woodso both use that to show that we all came from chaotic matter, eventually become an intelligence, progress to the point we are now. To return again is, quote, from all this we learn, commenting on DNC 8832, from all this we learn that the scriptures clearly teach that we all originally came from outer darkness and the sons of perdition return again to the place from which we all originated. Um, Cleon Skousen did not die that long ago. That's his comment. So, what about Joseph Smith? He's the one who, you know, gave us the Book of Mormon. He's the one who wrote down, you know, or I guess I should say dictated these revelations. What about the evidence we have from him? Well, that's the thing is, you know, what about 1842, 1843? We have, in the teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith, Him saying this, I will now turn linguist. There are many things in the Bible which do not, as they now stand, accord with the revelations of the Holy Ghost to me. I will criticize a little further. There has been much said about the word hell, and the sectarian world have preached much about it, describing it to be a burning lake of fire and brimstone. But what is hell? It is another modern term and is taken from Hades. I'll hunt after Hades as Pat did for the woodchuck, meaning, you know, where is it? Hades, the Greek, or Sheol, the Hebrew, these two significations mean a world of spirits. Hades, Sheol, paradise, spirits in prison are all one. It is a world of spirits. The righteous and the wicked all go to the same world of spirits until the resurrection. I don't think so, says one. If you will go to my house anytime, I will take my lexicon and prove it to you. The great misery of departed spirits in the world of spirits, where they go after death, is to know that they come short of the glory that others enjoy and that they might have enjoyed themselves and they are their own accusers. But, says one, I believe in one universal heaven and hell, where all go, and are all alike, and equally miserable or equally happy. What? What are all huddled together, the honorable, virtuous, and murderers, and whoremongers? When is it written that they should be judged according to the deeds done in the body? But St. Paul informs us of three, three glories and three heavens. So, in, I'll, I'll, once again, all these will be in the show notes. Um, he's asked, um, he's, he is asked, what is the damnation of hell? This is his definition. It, this is sometime between 1839 and 1842. To go with that society who have not obeyed his commands. Interesting. How about July 1843? Once again, all these things are in the past. DNC 29, DNC 76, DNC 88, all in the past. Book of Mormon, all in the past. What does he say? I see no faults in the church, and therefore let me be resurrected with the saints. 
whether I ascend to heaven or descend to hell or go to any other place. And if we go to hell, we will turn the devils out of the doors and make a heaven of it. Where this people are, there is good society. So he's not even, he's not taking it seriously in the same way. He isn't. And this, I would, I would say, is why you have to look at how the word is used. You have to look at how a word is used, not just give them more orthodox meaning than they actually mean themselves. And this, this meaning of kind of a metaphor, this is how it's often used. Um, let me read this. This is a more recent um, example. And this is a, a review and dialogue on a book that mentions that, quote, just as hell is simply hellish people being perpetually hellish, heaven is nothing more than heavenly people being heavenly for time and all eternity. <laughs> That's <laughs> See how they're using it more metaphorically? They don't mean a place of eternal conscious torment. That's the Christian definition. Place, eternal, conscious, torment. And by eternal, we mean eternal. Now, I could cite tons of examples, tons of examples um, in the Journal of Discourses. In fact, I'm, I'm struggling to know even where to start. I've got you know, 12 volumes here, and I could go on reading for quite a long time on this. I will say that a lot of them, will comment on the Christian sectarian view of hell and mock it. And then they will cite DNC 19 and immediately go to DNC 76. 19, or eternal, doesn't mean eternal, into 76. Now, they will make these caveats for the sons of perdition. But once again, that category continues to shrink. It continues to shrink to the point where in Joseph F. Smith, it's, it's debatable whether even Judas is a son of perdition. In fact, he says he thinks not. And his son agreed, Joseph Fielding Smith. So part of what I want to show here is that you have to see the context for outer darkness to make sense. Why could Skousen, even on DNC 88, say what he said? based on John A. Woodso, who we will get to. Well, part of it is you have to see the system. And the system is like a ladder, right? In fact, let me just read this Joseph Smith quote to set this up. This is from his King Follett Discourse. When you climb up a ladder, you must begin at the bottom and ascend step by step until you arrive at the top. And so it is with the principles of the gospel. You must begin with the first and go on until you learn all the principles of exaltation. But it will be a great while after you have passed through the veil before you will have learned them. It is not all to be comprehended in this world. It will be a great work to learn our salvation and exaltation even beyond the grave. Joseph Smith. This is the context for Out of Darkness. If we have been organized and advanced to the point where we get a body, keep in mind, an internally intelligence who acquires a spirit body, progresses to the point of getting a physical body, okay, the second death is the death of the spirit body, but it's still not annihilation of the intelligence. And so even if sons of perdition, whoever that applies to, go into outer darkness, there's always this possibility 
that eventually they'll get another chance. Maybe not in this world or the next, but eventually. And that's why um, some will even use DNC 29 to say it was not permitted to be taught, but that it could be true. It was not permitted to be taught, but it could be true. Okay, let me use some examples that might seem to go against what I'm saying. Let me try to still man this a little bit. One would be Heber C. Kimball. And he has this quote where it just seems to go against what I'm saying. He says, keep in mind, this is, Heber C. Kimball's a big deal. You have often heard me speak about my kindred. Will they be saved? Yes, they will, but they will be saved, as I have told you, many of this people will. They will first go to hell and remain there until the corruption with which they are impregnated is burnt out, and the day will yet come when they will come to me and acknowledge me as their Savior. Keep in mind, this is a guy who was ordained to the Godhead. <laughs> and I will redeem them, and bring them forth from hell to where I live and make them my servants, and they will be quite willing to enter into my service. So notice, though, <laughs> is that eternal conscious torment? No, this is what Sandra Tanner calls Mormon purgatory, <laughs> which is super clever. What about here? Here's another example of Mormon purgatory. This is volume 4 to 23. Okay. That is loving the wicked to send them there to hell. Once again, it seems like, okay, it's a place to be burnt out until they are purified. Yes, they shall go there and stay there and be burnt like an old pipe that stinks with long usage and corruption until they are burnt out and then their spirits may be saved in the day of the God Almighty. Is this hell eternal? No. In fact, <laughs> they're purged until they are saved. Okay. What about Brigham Young? He, here's a, Brigham Young, by the way, I, this would be a guy to lean into. He is fast and loose with the word hell. He really is. It is, it is pretty hard to know exactly what he means all the time by the word hell. It's certainly a place, but once again... The two senses on the website, right? Spirit prison, outer darkness. If outer darkness is not for this world or the next world, then maybe being purged would be some sort of basement chamber of spirit prison. Or they mean something akin to outer darkness, and there is a possibility. Either way, is this what Christians mean by hell? That's the point. Okay. Here's Brigham Young. And um, I am not totally sure who Zechariah Taylor is. I am I'm fairly sure it, he's referring to Zachari, Zachary Taylor, the president, who died. And um, he, of course, he was someone who resisted statehood for Utah because he called the Mormons a pack of outlaws. Um, I'm not totally sure, but I'm pretty sure that's who this is. This is June 19, 1853. The expression, old Zechariah Taylor is dead and in hell, and I am glad of it, which the returning officers in their report alleged was said by me, I do not know that I ever thought of until I heard Brockus himself mention it on the stand of the old Bowery. So, I do not know 
that it ever came into my mind whether Taylor was in hell or not any more than it did that any other wicked man was there. So he, he continues, when wicked men die, Zechariah Taylor or any other wicked man, they go to hell. Oh, does this disprove my point? Keep reading. If as good a man as Jesus Christ went to hell, we may well expect that a wicked and ungodly man will go there to atone for his sins. Yeah. That, okay. Well, <laughs> I think Brigham Young may be using the word a bit differently. And in fact, there are two examples of Brigham Young using this word, using this word to mean this world. Yep, this world. That's something interesting. He says this, Do you suppose that there is any such thing as a devil? And this is in 1857, July 26th. Yes, a great many believe that there is. Where does he live? The answer comes very readily. He lives in hell, of course. Then if there are devils here, we must also be in hell. Dot, dot, dot. We are all here, and we are surrounded by the devils. This is in a talk um, that is about opposition of men and devils to the Latter-day Kingdom. And in the index, it is <laughs> um, called, Earth is Location of Hell. Okay, and yet there's another one. Um, in the ninth volume, this is in 1862. This, I, this is one that I wish I could read all, the whole thing, because it, it's just classic Brigham Young. The talk is called Eternal Punishment, Mormonism in Quotations, etc., January 12, 1862. And he says, and he cites DNC 19, and that's once again following that pattern. DNC 19, and he says, The punishment of God is God-like. It endures forever because there never will be a time when people ought not to be damned, and there must always be a hell to send them to. Oh, is this a counterexample? No, keep reading. How long the damned remain in hell, I know not, nor what degree of suffering they endure. By the way, this is after con um, pointing out religionists condemn all who differ from their views to hell. He says this, God's punishment is eternal, but that does not prove that a wicked person will remain eternally in a state of punishment. Okay. So it's, it's in here where he then goes on to say that um, there is no plan, no device, no possible way in which we can get rid of Mormonism only by taking the downward road which leads to hell. Once again, this is, this is the latter. To hell, and what does he say? Until spiritually and temporally the whole organized being is dissolved and the particles thereof have returned again to native elements. We read in the scriptures of the second death not having power over certain ones. The first death is the separation of the spirit from the body. The second death is, as I have stated, the dissolution of the organized particles which compose the spirit and their return to their native element. Yeah, I would say that's a little bit different. How about this? Um, Discourse of Brigham Young, December 3rd, 1854, in which hell is in the title. Um, he says, we are now fighting the devils in order to make a heaven of this earth. Okay. 
Any person knowing and understanding the scriptures as they are and understanding the mind and will of God can understand at once that when he is shut out from the presence of the Lord, when he does not hear his voice, sees not his face, receives not the ministering of his angels or ministering spirits, and has no messenger from the heavens to visit him, he must surely be in hell. In the index, this is, interestingly enough, um, they say the spirit of the Lord is absent from. That would also be a difference. Um, even if it might be seen as a little more technical difference. He um, goes on to say, if this is not being in hell, and if this is not the wrath of God abiding to a certain degree upon the inhabitants of the earth, we will wait until we will find out what it is. Okay. And then he does say, we will pass into the world of spirits, which is called Hades or hell. So even in this talk, we have two different uses of the word Hell. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, to continue on, and I, once again, I'm going to put a ton in the show notes. I have John Taylor, George A. Smith, um, Penrose, George Q. Cannon, more Hebrew C. Kimball. In fact, maybe I should just choose one. Why not? Why not? Let's do one more Hebrew C. Kimball. Right. Where will those go? To that reject this gospel. Why, in reality, they will not go anywhere. They will remain where they are in hell. Okay, so there's a third sense the website didn't include. I hope I've made it clear. It can also be this world, which I don't think is what we mean when we use the word hell. I'm pretty sure. Okay. What about John A. Woodso? Let me read. Now, if Johnny Woodsow is not familiar to the Christian listeners, I cannot emphasize how important he is. And if you read books like Mormonism in Transition by Thomas Alexander, you'll just see he had an enormous impact. He, he and Talmadge helped develop the face of the church, both, both internally in terms of the doctrine and publicly in terms of the books written, articles written, they both had you know higher degrees. He he's enormously important, and so many thinkers we deal with today um, are very influenced by him. Whether that's Terrell Givens, Truman Madsen, you name it. Well, in his book, A Rational Theology. Woodso says this, in the great plan, and that's what he calls this system, there is no provision, there's no provision for the eternal damnation of man. At the best, men will be ranged according to their stage of progression, some higher, some lower. Okay. And he goes on to say, um, endless punishment, eternal punishment, of little meaning to the human mind means simply God's punishment, which is beyond our understanding. Those who refuse to accept truth or to abide by law will gradually take less and less part in the work of progression. They'll go down the ladder. They'll go down the ladder. And, and by the way, if you want uh, a great example of Brigham Young's sermon on this, it's called Life and Death or Organization and Disorganization, July 10th, 1853, Volume 1 of the Journal of Discourses. And this is as clear a statement of what I mean. Um, endless progression. In fact, even among the gods, um, you're going to find. And I think this is, keep in mind, Woodso is the one who collected 
made the volume, The Collected Discourses of Brigham Young. He knew Brigham Young very well. Okay, what about this? He has a book called Evidences and Reconciliations, in which he asks the question, who are the sons of perdition? And, and says things like this, the expression sons of perdition is often used in the scripture to describe disciples of Satan, all who defy God and teach untruth and who delight in lies without necessarily committing the unpardonable sin. So he even separates sons of perdition from the unpardonable sin. That many brethren and sisters who have propounded questions about the sons of perdition may rest secure that with their present knowledge they cannot become sons of perdition. Okay. The destiny of the, and then of course DNC 76. Okay. Um, and he even says in here, it's doubtful even Judas, who betrayed Jesus, was sufficiently enlightened to become a son of perdition. What this means in terms of everlasting punishment, the second death for the sons of perdition, he says, what this means has not been revealed. It's not been revealed. So it's not in DNC 76, according to this po- apostle of the LDS Church. The Lord has declared, he cites DNC 76, 45 through 48, and um, that it's a terrible punishment beyond human comprehension. And since the greatest sin is the unpardonable sin, it would appear that they will forfeit the gains of the ages of preexistence and the years on earth. President Brigham Young has suggested that the ultimate punishment of the sons of perdition may be that they, having their spiritual bodies disorganized, must start over again. Start over again. And <laughs> once again, like DNC 88, <laughs> you'll return again. It must begin anew the long journey of existence, repeating the steps that they took in the eternities before the Grand Council was held. That would be punishment indeed, exclamation point. That is a great punishment. And then he quotes two, two quotes from Brigham Young. They will be decomposed, both soul and body, remember, necessarily trichotomous, not the intelligence, which was neither created nor could be destroyed, and return to their native element. I do not say that they will be annihilated, but that they will be disorganized and will be as if they had never been, while we live and retain our identity and contend against those principles which tend to death or dissolution. The clay that marred in the potter's hands was thrown back into the unprepared portion to be prepared over again. And in that one, he even uh, references Heber C. Kimball's parable of the potter and the clay. So those who have been listening all year will appreciate what that can mean. And (laughs) according to the descendants, what they still believe. Interesting. Well, what about this? Uh, We have a book, pretty popular. I have a collector's edition, Joseph Smith, Seeker After Truth, Prophet of God, John A. Woodsow. Copyright 1951. In the first collector's edition, printing was 1991. 91, I was alive at this time. Chapter 29. Challenging false traditions. Once again, LDS Apostle, one of probably the top five, top ten important general authorities ever. That's not just me, too. It's, <laughs> I mean, I just can't say it enough. This isn't just anybody. Well, he does the whole DNC 19 and the DNC 76 pattern as well. Well, he says some interesting things along the way. In Joseph's day, preachers still taught the proverbial hell of everlasting tor- torture. This is a negative. <laughs> you know what I never found prepping for this? I never found them talking about the Christian view of hell and agreeing with it. 
And yet, I guess there are some Christians today who will insist on that for them. Okay. In the textbooks of his day, in many nations, were pictures of devils with pitchforks pushing sinners into the flames of hell, there to suffer the agony of being burned but never consumed. With one hand, the preacher offered a fragment of God's love, and with the other, the torment of an unutterable, never-ending hell provided by an angry, unforgiving God. (laughs) Under such a cruel doctrine, men would be frightened, so it was hoped, into a righteous manner of living, as if that's our view. Saved by grace thing, I guess. Didn't stick. And his understanding of what we believe. How men could devise so horrible a future. He's saying that's a man-made doctrine. How men could devise so horrible a future for any one of God's children is a striking evidence of the apostasy from the simple loving gospel of Jesus Christ. Naturally, the correction of this evil. Wow! Now the Christian view of hell is called evil here. Okay? He goes on. And, and once again, citing DZ-19 and showing that it uh, destroyed completely the unnatural, ungodlike doctrine of past ages. That's our view. He's talking about. He cites DZ-19. This was a new doctrine in the days of Joseph. He sees it as a new doctrine. Eternal punishment, everlasting punishment, all punishment will accord with the mind and will of God. As our works have been, so our reward will be. And I'll link to another book where he talks about that, about progression. In fact, even including between the degrees, um, though he does, um, he preserves it in the sense of the rate of progression will make it that you'll never catch up to people ahead of you. But he leaves, even he leaves open the possibility of progressing to where those ahead of you once were. So it's kind of interesting. The The gap between the three kingdoms wasn't there. And, and interestingly enough, I could have cited, in some of these same talks, by the way, by Brigham Young, he talks about how there's numberless degrees of glory, even as he's commenting on DNC 76. He does not see DNC 76 as these hard lines between the three. And I've mentioned that, as the regular listeners will know, all year. Now it says... It was a startling doctrine to hurl at a world traditionated in one of the blackest errors of apostate Christianity. That's our doctrine that he's talking about. Then he goes on to DNC 76. Very few will be so condemned because very few have the knowledge required. Um, the redeemed will be assigned according to their works. This came as a body blow. DNC 76 came as a body blow to the man made theologians of a world which had taught and hereafter composed only of heaven and hell that all would be either in heaven or hell. And by the way, I would just say, that's also the view of the Book of Mormon, buddy. And I still think it's lingering in some of these early sections of the DNC. Early meaning uh, chronologically, in terms of 1830, 1832. To the church came the understanding that in the hereafter, as here, under the law of progression in every assignment, there may be progression in the higher glories more rapid than in the lower glories. No glory is hopeless. The love of God for his children overshadows all else. These two great revelations, 19 and 76, have completely changed the world's conception of the payment in the hereafter for sins committed on earth and the eternal destiny of man. The word hell, he emphasizes, when used in these revelations, refers to the abode of the devil and his ugly brood. As used in the Bible, it has the same connotation, no argument or anything like that. This is it. And this was in the 
show notes of the episode that I sent to our brother. In the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, there is no hell. Let me repeat that. In the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, there is no hell. All will find a measure of salvation. All must pay for any infringement of the law, but the payment will be as the Lord may decide. There is graded salvation. This may be a more terrible punishment to feel that because of of sin, a man is here, when by a correct life he might be higher. The gospel of Jesus Christ has no hell in the old proverbial sense. Okay, is that enough? No, no, it's not. Wait, there's more. (laughs) Um, How about in the temple? How about in the temple? And yes, I am going to read some of what a lot of LDS from at least 1927 till 1990. If you got your endowment, you had something like this. In fact, it was supposed to be exactly this. And, And this is something interesting. The first temple post-Navu in the Utah Territory was the St. George Temple. Um, this, I, I covered um, some of this in the bonus episode, the last bonus episode for the year. And one thing that's very interesting, once you had St. George, Manti, Logan, and Salt Lake, is that, in fact, most of it was not written. Now, we had a lecture that was written by Brigham Young, there were portions that were originally written, though they have not been released. But by the 19-teens and 20s, the general authorities of the church are realizing we have a lot of variation between the temples. So if you went to the St. George Temple, the endowment session would be a little different than if you went to Logan. And the temple presidents had a lot more power then. And so, um, I'm distracting myself here, <laughs> Um Anyway, by 1927 is when you get a written uniform temple endowment. That being said, it was supposed to preserve the older endowment. And so it's just, I I did a lot of research. I could not find a pinpoint when some of this started. So um, I don't know when this entered the temple or maybe at which temple. That being said, I do think... um, it is telling that in Dwitso, and I'm going to give one example out of Talmadge, some of the points they make in their books that you could buy publicly available make a little more sense if you know what is in the temple. Okay. This, in this scene, the lone and dreary world, we have Lucifer. And one thing I have to point out, when they're first in the, I think it was the 70s, um, maybe late 60s, they first started to film. So, by the way, when I, when I was in it, I always preferred the old temples because you actually would go through different rooms in the endowment session, mimetically as Adam or Eve or whatever, progressing to the celestial kingdom, to godhood ritualistically um and it it just made more sense when you actually did that and then of course you change your your attire at different key points and you learn certain things along the way um now when they started doing a film (laughs) 
the original actor for Lucifer was supposed to be black. <laughs> Sorry, it's not funny, but it's, I'm not kidding. The, I mean, that was the orders from on high. And, but due to protest to LDS uh, Polynesians, actually, <laughs> eventually they get a white guy to fill the role. But it does make me wonder if they, um, I don't know, maybe with makeup altered the appearance of this actor. I don't know. That's speculation. But apparently that's what they thought. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to be reading the dialogue. Lone Drew World. Adam. So this is what Adam says. Brethren and sisters, this room represents the telestial kingdom or the world in which we now live. Oh, a little different. Does that match exactly DNC 76? When Adam was driven out of the Garden of Eden, and by the way, what should you prioritize if it's in the temple, the most sacred place? Should this theology rule or should DNC 76 rule? Now, of course, they, they claim DNC 76. You see what I'm saying? I'm not saying it's complete A or B. What I'm saying is this should probably inform more of how we read DNC 76, not the other way around. When Adam was driven out of the Garden of Eden, he built an altar and offered prayer, and these are the words he uttered. Oh God, hear the words of my mouth, my mouth times three. Now Lucifer comes. I hear you. What is it you want? Adam, who are you? Lucifer, the God of this world? Wait. This is the world in which we now live. That's the celestial kingdom, and who's the God of this world? Gnostic alert. What is it you want, Adam? I was calling upon Father. Now, already we see here the sibling thing, that angels are either pre-mortal, post-mortal, or I guess simultaneous to our mortal probation. You know, But anyway, he appears as a human just as Adam in the scene. But maybe that's just, they don't know how to depict it otherwise. Lucifer. Oh, I see. You want religion. I'll have some preachers along presently. Preacher. Now, this preacher was was a reformed preacher, and I don't I don't know exactly how they would um, <laughs> how they would depict him, but presumably the black robes, which it it occurred to me matches the black skin of the Lucifer character. Anyway, so here's the preacher that's supposedly the. Uh, as we're going to see, the, the aid of Lucifer here. Have you ever been to college and been trained for the ministry? Preacher. Why, certainly. A man cannot preach unless he has been trained for the ministry. Well, do you preach the orthodox religion? Yes, that is what I preach. Lucifer. Well, if you'll preach your orthodox religion to this people and convert them, I'll give you, let me see, 5000 a year. And by the way, once they started doing videos, that's another thing they changed, is the specific salary. I've also seen the number 4000 but anyway, I'm not sure. It doesn't matter. And by the way, I wonder, this is thinking out loud here. Of course, I'm alone in here, so here we go. Um, but if that's meant to be somewhat accurate, I wonder if we could date when that would have been a typical salary for um, a minister, a reform minister, um, and see maybe that could give us an indication as to when this started. When they started doing the filming, one of the reasons they took it out was it was, I mean, most LDS made more than that at that point. 
All right. Preacher, well, you know that 5000 is a small sum when you take into consideration the great amount we have to pay to learn to preach. Lucifer, if you succeed, I will raise your salary. Preacher, I'll do my best. Good morning, sir. Adam, good morning. I understand you're looking for religion. Adam, I was calling upon Father. Preacher, I'm glad to hear you were calling upon Father. Now let us sing this hymn. Okay. And that's, that's another thing, too, that was uh, taken out, is that apparently, and you, and you think of the the type of people that would have joined Mormonism, they might be familiar with the hymn. It's an Isaac Watts hymn, When I Can Read My Title Clear in Mansions in the Sky. And the, the point is, here's this preacher leading the, the congregants in the room, right, at this lower level of progression as they sing this familiar hymn, right, symbolizing where they, where they were at at that point of their progression. And so apparently, originally, they would all sing it. When I can read my title clear in mansions in the sky, I'll bid farewell to all my fears and wipe my weeping eyes. Do you believe in a God who is without body, parts, or passion, who sits on the top of a topless throne, whose center is everywhere and circumference nowhere, who fills the universe and yet is so small that he can dwell in your heart? Do you believe in this great being? This is the preacher to Adam. Adam, no, I cannot comprehend such a being. No, I cannot comprehend such a being. Preacher, that is the beauty of it. Perhaps you believe in hell. Oh, perhaps you believe in hell, that great bottomless pit which is full of fire and brimstone, into which the wicked are cast, and where they are continually burning, and yet are never consumed? (laughs) Pretty good definition of hell. Adam, no, I do not believe in any such place. Preacher, I am sorry for you. Lucifer, I am sorry, very, very sorry. What is it you want? Adam, I am waiting for messengers from Father. And then, of course, there's a scene in Elohim are given to Jehovah and from Jehovah to Peter, James, and John. Peter, good morning. What are you doing here? He's saying this to Lucifer. Lucifer, teaching religion. Religion is defined as a transcendent God without body parts or passions. And hell, meaning eternal conscious torment, a place of eternal conscious torment. Peter, what is it you preach? We teach the philosophies of men mingled with Scripture. See that? It's saying the transcendence of God and hell are the philosophies of men mingled with Scripture. Peter, and how is it accepted by this congregation? Lucifer, oh, very well. See, they had just sung the hymn, right? Oh, very well, with all except this man, Adam. He doesn't believe anything we preach. Peter, good morning, sir. What do you think of the preaching of this gentleman? Adam, I cannot comprehend it. Peter, can you give us some idea concerning it? Adam, he tells of a God who is without body, parts, or passions, and of a hell without a bottom, into which the wicked are cast, and where they are continually burning and yet never consumed. I do not believe in any such doctrine. I am waiting for messengers from Father. Peter, that is right. We commend you for your integrity. Good day. We will probably visit you again soon. (laughs) I could go on. (laughs) 
notice uh, the people who wrote this, performing this, attended this, and went through and with their endowments, which would have included, hey, Mitt Romney, for example, all claimed DNC 29, DNC 76, and DNC 88 as scripture as well as the Book of Mormon, which is actually the best evidence of hell in Mormonism. So here's the thing. When I was making my point, I was trying to nuance that, yeah, they can use hell to refer to different places, but none of them, I repeat, none of them are the Christian view of hell. And that should matter. That should matter. And once again, I think that to to not clarify what we mean by the word is not any more helpful than what we do with Jesus, what we do with grace, what we do with salvation, which they also uh, do word games with. I mean, what in fact, what doctrine isn't affected by a Mormon worldview? Is there a single doctrine? Is there a single point of contact where the antithesis between Christian, the Christian worldview and the Mormon worldview isn't operative? I'll leave it at that. So I have more I could say. <laughs> um, but let me say this one thing, because I know I did mention it earlier. James Talmadge, who's contemporaries with Woodsow, talks about the long night of apostasy that is still an important book. But ha- having heard that temp- part of the temple in mind, once again, that part being taken out in 1990, I should have said that earlier, but still it was there for a long time. And I don't think the theology's changed since 1990. He says this, throughout the period of apostasy, the windows of heaven had been shut toward the world so as to preclude all direct revelation from God and particularly any personal ministration or theophany of the Christ. Mankind had ceased to know God and had invested the utterances of prophets and apostles of old who had known him with the pall of mystery and fancy so that the true and living God was no longer believed to exist. But in his place, the sectaries had tried to convince, conceive of an incomprehensible being devoid of body, parts, or passions and immaterial nothing. So if even with the word God... It can't mean what we mean. Why do we carve out an exception with hell? That is the question. And I'll leave it at that. But I will say this. I don't, this is the first time I've ever done this. Um, I'm in a room by myself. I hope it didn't take me too long to get into the groove. I still have way too much more. But I will say this. I think if there is a church that could understand the need for a Christian to call out another Christian, you'd think it would be Apologia. Okay, thank you for listening, and we'll see you again soon. <laughs>